right, good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Rich, uh, lead pastor here. And I want everyone to do one thing real fast. I want you to stand up. We have a declaration that we go through in this series. And we're going to read this thing and have faith for this thing. And how many know you're going to get through this? All right, so let's just say this. Go ahead, repeat after me. You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish. Don't or naive. But don't despair either. With God's help. With God's help. With God's help, you will, I will, he will, she will get through this. Come on. You may be seated. You didn't know that's Elder Terry. As we've been going through this series, he's been going, him and Ms. Robbie have been going through this series. The series arrived at their, their hospital stay in at, um, Houston the same time we started. And that bell represents the end of the treatments. In the beginning <laughs> of a new walk. So when we say you'll get through this, we're serious about that. And you'll get to see them very soon and the relatives here crying and you said you weren't going to cry but really you'll get through this and this morning we're going to talk about a subject this is part five this one's called family scandals and scoundrels how many got some family scandals going on right about now oh everybody wow how many know family pain family scandals one of the hardest things to get through. And then when you read the Bible, it seems like family scandals and fa- mostly family pain is all through the Bible. I mean, when you think about the very beginning, Adam accused Eve in front of God. You remember that? She ate the fruit. God came down and walked in the garden. So Adam, Adam said, God, really, it's that woman you made, she did it. I can see you right now. You wait till you get home. And then you got the kiddos. Cain killed Abel. Cain. And you have Abraham, his wife Sarah, pretty lady, try to sell her off as his sister. Family. Then you got Jacob, who married first. He waited seven years for a woman. He thought he was going to get Rachel. He married the one he didn't love, Leah. He waited seven more years to get the one he wanted, was Rachel. And Leah, he didn't love Leah. He loved Rachel. But you see, Joseph and Benjamin came from Rachel. And then he wasn't satisfied, so he got with other women and had other kids. And they all were under one roof, except Rachel died when Benjamin was born. And they called that house. But God also called it. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. The hope of the world. So family pain is not new. It goes all the way back from the beginning. 
And as we go through this story, go through the story of Joseph and how he came out of the pit into the palace, and he became second in charge, the governor of Egypt. We'll see that the pain that he tried to hide from and tried to press down and tried to forget came up, and he had to deal with it the best way he knew how. Same thing with us. Pain is evident in our lives. We try to bury it. We try to make sure, we try to be, hope it doesn't bother me. I try to forget it. I won't even talk about it. Then you come to a church like ours who are all about relationships, and we put you in front of people, and it rises up. And how you respond is a different thing. Now, it could be your biological family. It could be your spiritual family because everyone has a notion that everyone in church is perfect. So I'm going to go find the perfect church. Well, I hope you find them. Because the last one that's perfect was God. We're being perfected. But if you look at the family pain in the Bible, you just walked into one. We're not perfect. But you can pick up something from your last family, spiritual family, and try to bury it. And you come here, and it will open up. The minute someone says the same thing or does the same thing that you saw at your last place that offended you. So pain you carry around unless you actually talk about it. So let's go to the scripture, starting in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1 through 6. In fact, I'm going to read 41 to 57, give you a a backdrop of what's going on. We knew Joseph last week when he gave the seven years of of, uh, of plenty and seven years of famine. They're heading into the famine period of this. And 4157 says, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. That's seven years of plenty. Now we're going into our seven years of lack. And let's go to 42 verses 1 through 6. See what happens here. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. The reason why he didn't send Benjamin, because he favored Benjamin the same way he favored Joseph. Came from his favorite wife, which was Rachel. Joseph's brothers were his brothers, for he feared that the harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy the, the others, I mean buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the ground. I remember the, the dream in Genesis chapter 37 of his brothers bowing down to him. Joseph has arrived. After all those years, 13 years of in the pit, these are the guys who did it. Here I am in the house as the governor, and God, the dream has come true. Here's a question. Is it time for revenge or reconciliation? Because do you imagine, Joseph? <laughs> I got the power now. 
They bowed down to me. But it's something interesting when you look at it. Joseph went through a few things. In chapter 41, verse 51, as Joseph was, become, was the governor, the prime minister, he had a couple of children. It's interesting on his first child, Manasseh, in verse 51, 41, 51. So he named his first child Manasseh. He meant, Manasseh meant this, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house, which means he was burying his past. Because he was prime minister, he can go anywhere he wanted to. How come he never went to Canaan? At least came back and said, guys, what you got to do to me? Look at me now. Made me forget what happened in my house. Buried it. He buried it. So I don't have to think about it. And start anew. But you know, God always has a way of what you try to bury. He'll dig it up. And when he saw his brothers... A lot of things took place. Some of the writers say he was angry and he treated them harshly. Verse 9, it said this, because this is after 20 years of not seeing these guys. What would your response be? You're going, you, you're going out. I can't wait to put you guys away. But look at his response. It's interesting in verse 9 of 42, he said, Joseph remembered the dreams he dreamed. He kind of forgot about the dream. He didn't chase after the dream. He kind of chased after God, and then God revived the dream. It's kind of interesting that he wasn't thinking about the dream every step of the way. He was just thinking about pleasing God every step of the way. See, when you get someone tells you that you, this is going to happen in your life, sometimes you stop what you're doing. You try and chase that what he said versus just chasing the God who said it. And then he'll bring it to fruition when you're ready for it. If you're not ready for it, don't go, don't touch it. But there's a process of getting ready for it. We talked about with the guys in our small group. Joseph learned how to administrate in part of his house. He learned how to be a great leader in the prison. He had to learn those things. Through the harshness of life, sometimes you learn so much. Interesting thing here, though. Didn't chase it. He said this. Verse 17, he locked them up. He was harsh to them. Call them traitors. Call them spies. Locked them up for three days. Y'all thinking, I would have left them there for seven years. You know what you did to me? And every offense <laughs> is doubled. Again, is it about revenge or reconciliation? When you walk with revenge, all your life, you become bitter. There's a man here, I won't say his name, who died. He was really responsible for a lot of the land and the, and the businesses here in Abilene, Texas. But he didn't have a great relationship with his family. And he didn't have a great relationship with our city. And he died on a lonely road between 1750 and 707, where highways meet, he died at that intersection. And we have the, our, our vice president of our HOA told us the magnitude of, the, of his accident. He had a car accident. 
and told us for three days no one said anything. He was already gone. They had to get some family affairs, legal affairs together. Just gone. He um, came out in the paper. They buried him. No thank yous. No one hardly showed up. Showed up. One of the happiest, who should have been the happiest man in the world, died bitter and alone. Because a lot of his things was about revenge, about what people said about me, what people did against me. See, when you're trying to get back at people in revenge, and we have this habit of, I won't, uh, I'll just get and build myself this, this space where no one can get in. I'll protect myself. I won't go that far any longer. What happens is you build a prison you can't get out of. And you become alone in that prison. And really, should be more streets named after this man. But there was no relationships was broken all because of bitterness, not reconciliation. When you see Joseph in this moment, how hard he was, I think a couple things happened. I think he was in shock because 20 years, these guys, he heard them. He wasn't distributing the food as his servants were. He was kind of in shock, I would say. I would say he was a little confused. What do you do? And he was a little angry. What do you do now? All these emotions that you buried start to rise up and rush into your life. And you're like, what do I do at this moment? How do I handle this? What would God have me do? Well, it's amazing with this because God, it was for the children of Israel and for us to be sitting here, for the children of Israel to be, to survive, it all predicated on his kindness and love. Because if he rejected them and threw them in prison, there would have been no 70 people going into Egypt. It wouldn't have been the tribes. It wouldn't have been, the story would have changed. And we wouldn't be sitting here now. Sometime our, our kindness and our love in the worst time is connected to God's higher purpose. His higher plan. And sometimes it depends on us to make sure it works. So this answer that he was, this response he was going to have is so important. Now, he didn't know that in the moment he was doing that, but God bet that it was going to work because he put the man through so much of training to get him ready. Your response, sometimes as, as adults, your response to adults today has a higher plan how your kids are going to respond to adults tomorrow. The way you build relationships today is going to affect your kids tomorrow because God has a plan. When I hear about People, you have social and economic divide, racial divide. I always, when people get obsessed, you know something? They did not come out the womb thinking that way. Someone taught them that. That they make more money and they like less study, they're superior. They were, that was taught. It was passed on from generation to generation. It becomes a worldview. So when we look at this, it's amazing. You have to ask yourself, Pastor Richard, if you had a perfect family, 
Bless you. You probably say, I don't need this message. But if you didn't have a dad or a mom who nurtured you and took care of you, and you still have wounds from that, and you haven't dealt with those wounds, it's hard to get anywhere in life. Look at the response. Because it's about either revenge or reconciliation. Our takeaway today is God not only wants to wants your whole heart, he wants your whole heart whole. He doesn't just want your whole heart. He wants your whole heart whole. Verse 42, 21 through 24. I mean, chapter 42, verses 21 to 24. Let's look at this Joseph response. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw his distress of the soul when he begged us. We did not listen. That is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them. I love Reuben's answer. Didn't I not tell you guys not to sin against the boy? He was the oldest. He could have stopped it. But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning of boy's blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them. And there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. They didn't know that was Joseph. They didn't recognize Joseph after 20 years, clean-shaven, dressed like an Egyptian. They didn't recognize him. And they were in a point when Joseph put them to the test on some things, they confessed of what they'd done. And when they confessed what they'd done, all the emotions that Joseph had buried start to rise. Start to rise. And he, he wept. The reason why, you know, guys, family hurt is the toughest hurt to overcome. Family hurt is the toughest one to overcome. Because the high expectations of family that we have for, one, for our family. And when we get hurt, it, it cuts deep. And if it's just, you know, biological family or spiritual family, it cuts deep. And that's a hard one to overcome, very hard to overcome. Years ago, I blew my shoulder out playing basketball. I blew it out so bad that it wouldn't even stay in the socket. It just kept hanging off, and I had to keep it tied up. Wouldn't listen to the doctors, wanted to play basketball. And I kept it down here, and I would still play even though it came out. Then the guys would just pop it back in, and you saw it pop out. I did a, I did a demonstration here a year ago, and you saw it pop out. I kind of did like that. <laughs> well, it's so bad that I had to take muscles from my chest and put them up into my shoulder and tie them in, and pin them in. You know, I, I forgot I had to pin it until we went to an x-ray. He said, what is that? I said, I don't know, but I forgot I had a pin in there. And what happened was, it's like a newborn baby. I had to learn how to use my arm again. And usually you get to go to a uh, physical therapist. Well, my supervisor, who used to do uh, physical therapy, became my personal coach. And in those days, he said, don't go there. They're going to give you this, and they're going to rub you down. 
Show up every day, every, I mean, after work every day, we're going to do 30 minutes of physical therapy. I said, boss, what's that going to look like? Because your arm, you spent six weeks with your arm here. There's nothing on it. It's tired here. What you're going to do, you're going to take this arm. Because when I came out the sling, I could only do this. Couldn't go any further than this. So you're going to take this arm, and you're going to get against the wall. And you're going to take it, and you're going to take your fingers and walk it up. Every day. And I don't care how much you cry, because I'm not, I'm not really impressed with your crying. It hurt. <laughs> and the only thing back in those days that they gave you was Motrin. Motrin wasn't going to hurt. Fix this one. And I had to do this. And I got comfortable here. He said, what do you want to do? I want to get back on the court. He says, you got to go all the way to here. Then you don't just do that. You got to lean against the wall. And I had to learn how to use my arm again. He said, and then I had to do the weight thing afterwards. Six months. And didn't miss a day. He's a, he's a sergeant. You don't miss, in, in, in military, you don't miss when your sergeant says show up. You show up. There's no excuses. Only excuse you have, you don't have one. <laughs> And he said something that was key that rang with me for such a long time. He said, Rich, you're going to have to go through the pain to get to your freedom. And you'll be better for it. And which was, I didn't use my right hand much at all. He taught me how to use my right hand, shoot with my right hand and all that. But the pain was intense. When we're talking about family pain, Joseph decided, almost decided not to go through it to receive the full freedom. Because, you know, you can be so successful in everything you do, but your heart is still not whole. You can be in the biggest place, in the biggest arena, and people cheering your name, and your heart is still not whole. And this is a one-point message today. One point. says this, your history does not have to be your future. Your history doesn't have to be your future. When you're walking through family pain, most when we walk people through freedom or walk people through the pain in their lives had nothing to do with what happened in his place. Had something to do with the, your mom or your dad. Like you, you know, some of you know about my upbringing. And all the things I had to deal with. And who to trust. And who I can talk to. The labels, if you grew up, your parents try to motivate you with certain labels. Or people try to cover you with labels. Stupid. You're slow. Why are you so dumb? Young lady, why are you so fat? And they sting. And as a child... You have the ability to exalt it and go play outside until you grow up and become an adult, and those things start to res- come up when you meet some people because your idea is a few things. I'll just stick away from people. Or if they get close, I'll just fly off the handle. They'll leave me alone. Or you'll isolate. Or you'll non-commit to anything because if I come any closer, if anyone gets beyond my, ca- my, little, my little place here, I'm going to blow it up before we even get there. 
I used to blow up relationships before I got before it got crazy. Because I didn't trust. I said, You're gonna leave me anyway? Let me blow this thing up. Failsafe mechanism, we call it. I call it deal breakers in our lives. They're deal breakers. We get to a certain point. Danger, danger, danger. They're too close. It's got to be them. 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 You know what they did? You know what he did? You know what she did? And all recognized. That's what your mom and dad did, didn't they? That's what your mom did. That's what your father said about you. And so they remind you of your, your dad. I don't want to talk about it. You know, men, when, we, when we're wrong, guys, us husbands, we don't want to talk about it, do we? I don't want to talk about it. That's what happens. And it's always them. But the common denominator is you. Because your heart isn't whole. Them people didn't do anything. They just try, try to figure out how to get along with one another. They didn't do anything. Maybe your mom and dad did something. And that pain is the hardest thing to, to deal with. That's why you might, you know, mistrust, isolate by yourself. Well, when I say your history doesn't have to be your future, it's a scripture I want you to, there's a remedy to this. It's a scripture, Romans 12, 2. We can't go by the principles of the world if we've been hurt. We got to go by the principles of God. And the only way we can do that, when our mind is in a groove, a record groove of offense and anger and isolation, we need to regroove it with the word of God, the spirit of God, so you have a new revelation of the God, our God. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word transforming metaphor, metaphor, metaphors, as it says in the Greek. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What it means, you're going to metamorphose in front of someone. They looked at that word. It meant, and remember in the Bible when Jesus went on the mountain and transfigured? Transfiguration? He transferred into another entity, seemed like. Our mind needs to be trans, transformed with the old and reprogrammed with the new. J.B. Phillips puts it a great uh, way in his paraphrase. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from where? Within. So you may prove and practice that the plan of God is for, for you is good, meets all the demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. I love J.B. Phillips with his paraphrases, and he's talking about immature. We used to do that. We used to think that way as a child, insecure, all those things. Now as I'm maturing God, those things I have to deal with. They're not easy. And God will find a way to bring up the things that you've been burying. And he'll use, now we know what his mechanism is? People. He doesn't use situations. He uses people to mess with you. Push, they what we call today, they push my buttons, <laughs> right? They keep pushing my buttons. Now, those are buttons that God wants. Yeah. And there's two value systems here we got to look out for when you look at 12.2. The world and God's will. When you look at that scripture, the world 
is a value, has its own value systems and want you to stay bitter, want you to stay disconnected. They want you to be uh, sick. But God's will says you're whole. Not, just you're, not that you're free, but you're whole. Your whole heart is whole. But the only way we can do that, guys, and you hear me all the time, through the word of God and the spirit of God brings you the revelation of God, a renewed mind. That's a daily thing, especially if you're dealing with something. But you got to remember, you're not who they said you were. We're children of God. We're not what people said. We're not those labels. There's a, uh, a quote by Max Licato that says, the healing of the heart involves healing of the past. The healing of the heart, he advised, involves healing of the past. Tell you who you are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19. Therefore, if anyone, is you, are you an anyone? Say, I'm an anyone. Is in Christ, he is a new what? The old has pat what? Behold, the new has what? New way of thinking, new way of looking, new way of speaking. All this is from who? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? 19. And that in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Here's the key of getting through your, getting your healing. Not counting their trespasses against him. I thank God that he did not count my trespasses against me. He, know he didn't do that for anybody. Otherwise, he would have never sent his son, Jesus Christ. And entrusting them to us, the message of what? When you look in the Greek word of reconciliation, and you, you can go, actually go to the God, uh, called the God uh, translation, it means restoration of relationships. God is in restoration. Sometimes we're not in the restoration. For, for Joseph, it was all about restoration. And he says, we are the carriers of restoration, of relationships. So you can take that scripture and change from reconciliation to restoring relationships, family relationships, because we know in America, as the family goes, so does America. As the family goes, so does the churches. Because family is a union that God put in place on purpose to bring, this, to bring the plan of God here on earth. Reconciliation, restoration of relationships. Restoration of relationships. There's a guy in the Bible that we don't talk much about on this sense. He was born really in a horse stable. Mother was labeled as a, she's what do you call it? She was, he was born out of wedlock. So she was, uh, must have been frisky before she was married. And then she wore that label. And he wore that label as a, as a child who didn't have two parents. He only had one. And as you go through the story, 
he had dreams and God gave him a plan. And his mother, sometimes she would hear it, but she would like, I'm not sure. And the family environment he had that a lot of his own family didn't believe his dreams. Didn't believe him. In fact, in one part of the Bible, you see that his, his, brothers and his brothers came looking for him to pull him out because they thought he was crazy. How do you like brothers like that? They're just crazy. And then he had a spiritual family, a big one, thousands of people. And I think you get to John chapter 6, and they were part of the family because they said there was disciples. They kind of just took off on them and left them. Family dynamics. His name is Jesus. And all the people he healed and all, they can't kill him, kill him, kill him. But he said this one thing. Guys, come up. In Luke 23, 34, this is what he said. Kind of interesting. Because we talk about the big, I'm talking about the family dynamics when he said it. Talking about family hurt. The brothers, you know, mothers and, and my brothers looking for me because they're going crazy want to lock me up. And here I am, the son of God. And they didn't even believe him a couple of times. They said, really, if you really that, just show up over here so people will stop talking. He said this on the cross for all of us because he didn't count our trespasses against us, that we don't, trust, we don't count trespasses of our family against us. We have to restore those relationships. And I'm not talking about just mom and dad. I'm talking about spiritual family because we see people who get to the point and they stop because there's hurt there that hasn't been reconciled. As you'll see the elements going by, we're going to do this together. Jesus said this. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For what? Why are you telling them to forgive them? For they don't know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus didn't die with it. We shouldn't either. One of the last obstacles of my walk of freedom was to get past a guy named Sidney. And you heard this story. You might have heard part of this story before. His name was Sidney Brown. Sidney, I don't know what he was. I think in the beginning I would say he was a terrible dad. But then I start, God started changing my heart. I said, Sidney was a great dad because he can do, he did one thing well, which I thought was a curse but it was actually a blessing. He signed me over to the state of New York City so I can be here today. But God had to change my heart on that because I had someone other, how can, I don't even know him. How can he do that? How can they just, just get rid of me? And God transformed my mind and said this, if you didn't do that, Rich, my ultimate plan of you being and meeting your wife and your son and, and being in Abilene, Texas, it would have never happened. Wow. Let me come back to you. Sometime you got to remember your compassion and love for your family or members of this family has a higher plan in God's call on your life.
and we're going to take communion together, and we're going to worship out today. And I want your heart. I've been praying for your heart not to be hardened. Because when you have family hurt, you have calluses on your heart that bounce off when God's trying to get there. It becomes a harder stone because I'll never get hurt again. They'll never get this close to me again. I'll, I'll, I'll protect myself. And we wind up killing ourselves. And you miss the freedom that's on the other side. Wow. That's everybody. I don't know if it's your mother, your father, your brothers. This is what you do. You go talk to God honestly in your prayer time. He knows you're hurting. He knows it stings. He knows it's stinging right now as you try to bring it. It's starting to rise up in you. But you talk to him. He can take a real talk versus just, oh, holy heavenly father. Just God, that hurt. Sydney hurt me. This rejection, I can't take it. He knows he can handle that. He wants us to be honest. That's what a father does. He hears you. Jesus didn't die with it. And we shouldn't either. Here's where my heart hurts. I see potential in everybody. More so than some of you see in yourselves. And I see that you can climb into some things, but you've been hurt. You go as far as you can go. I remind, either you remind, I remind you or someone else reminds you of your hurt, and you're not going to get in that water. Now I'll come close to the water, but I'm not going to get in that water because of what happened before. And remember, Jesus said they didn't know what they were doing. The person who hurt you had no idea what they're doing. But for a church to be free, we have to not let history be our future. And when you look at the word history, breaking into two words is his story. So you're part of his story. You're part of his training. You're part of his purpose. Now, you don't understand all of it. But I know one thing, you're going to be better for it. Because I'm doing this. And that pain was intense. And I wasn't allowed to run away from it. If I would have ran away from it, you'd be, I'd be looking like this. I'd be talking like this. I had to face the pain to get the freedom on the other side. And I couldn't blame the guy who low-bridged me when I fell and broke up my, busted up my arm. Blamed him for three weeks. That didn't get me anywhere. Why don't we stand? We're going to take the communion together. The hurt and the pain that you are now facing and the healing that you now need was done on the cross by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to know about pain? Read the New Testament. Not saying pain, our pain, it doesn't matter. It matters because it's in the eyes of the beholder. It's big to you. But the pain that you're experiencing right now and the hurt you're experiencing right now was taken on the cross for us to be free. Not to live, not to live 
regular lives, but extraordinary lives because we have an extraordinary God. So, Father, as we take this bread, your body was broken for us.